Welcome to the NPN Podcast, where we talk to the power sports industry leaders and trailblazers who offer insights on this exciting market, delivering the business intelligence dealers need to succeed. From motorcycles, UTVs, ATVs, and side-by-sides to snowmobiles and personal watercraft, NPN covers the market on these high-performance vehicles. Welcome, listeners. Today, I'll be speaking with John Furman. John is the senior trainer and founder of Performance Road Agency. In addition to providing his dealers with world-class F&I products and training, his cutting-edge consulting reveals sales, F&I, and management shortcomings and the actions needed to correct them. John, can you explain your history in sales and training with us? For me, in the beginning, selling is selling. And, you know, my first involvement was a, a good friend of mine who I, you know, worked with on, in the auto industry, moved over to Power Sports and wanted some training and, and came to me to see if I could design something. And uh, what I ended up doing was spending a lot of time in the dealership kind of watching you know, what was going on. And from there started to develop the process that I used. And I think almost like everything else in someone's career, whether it's training, selling, managing, or what have you, you're always adjusting and reevaluating. So, you know, as things grew, as some of the people I trained got better, what else could I bring to that table to give them more? Because, I mean, you don't want to hear the basics over and over and over again, you know, from the same person. And I started to look at other industries, not just power sports and the auto industry. You know, I looked at how people are trained in software sales and how the insurance industry trains their people and how the investment community trains their people. And I found that unlike a lot of my competition, there's more crossover in all those industries. So I started picking and choosing and, and blending it in, but it all comes down to, I, I think, a true trainer's job is, is not just to impart information, but to help people make that crossover, especially in sales. When you're in the manufacturing world, your job is to go to work and contribute what you contribute. If you're working at an ATV plant, maybe you're the guy that puts the rims on. Okay, so every day you go to work and put the rims on, and you know if you can find a better way to put the rims on, then you can contribute. But basically, you're there to put the rims on. And a lot of those people do that kind of work, uh, A, because they, they enjoy it, but B, because it provides a certain amount of security. In sales, that's different. I have said from the very beginning, from the very first time I interviewed a salesperson to the very last training that I did, if you're here for a job, this is not going to work, all right, because this is the worst job in the world. If you're here for a career, you can become very successful. And there's a huge difference because a job, like I said, is very rudimentary. You know, tomorrow I'm going to go to work and do the same thing I did today. In selling, especially if you want to grow, you have to be constantly improving, whether it's learning more ways to sell or even just managing your time. Somebody can sell, you know, eight, nine, ten units a week, and they want to make more money. They have to figure out how to get to 12, 13, 14 units. And usually that's not a talent issue. That's a time issue. So you have to learn time management, right? 
and then maybe you have to become internet savvy to help build your own business. So sales training is, is constantly evolving, you know, and anybody that refuses to go to training because they've been there, done that, or have heard it all, quite frankly, is a fool. And, and I tried to impart that on everybody, make it a career, make it a passion. And as always, the further you get away from your comfort zone in sales, the more you stretch, the closer you are to big money. John, do you have any stories about training in dealerships that have stuck with you to this day? Yes. Quite frankly, we, we don't have enough time for all of them. <laughs> uh, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about, about two that were really incredible. I had this gal, all right, and, you know, which is very unusual in power sports. I can't tell you how many times I've done interviews for dealerships. and You know, we might interview 40, 50 people for a few sales positions and no women showed up. And this gal did. And she said, you know, I enjoy the outdoors. I enjoy, I've had ATVs, you know, I, I've done dirt bikes. I've, you know, competed, but you know, I, I really would like a chance to try this. And, you know, I was like, okay, fine. There was a lot about her. She was she was high energy and genuinely just seemed to enjoy everything about power sports. And more importantly, the the management team really liked her. They were very much against, you know, we had a couple of women come through at that interview and they were kind of like shaking their heads, yeah, no, I don't you know, before they even talked to them. And this gal won them over. So now it behooved me to do the best training job that I can for that whole class. Anyway, as luck would have it, this particular dealership was just now beginning to grow. All right. So about four months later, I get a call from them and they want me to come back and hire some more people. They want to expand even further. So, you know, I flew down there and, you know, this gal was still there. Okay. Now I know people say, well, it's only four months. If you understand the sales side, as many of the dealers listening do, four months with a new person, if they're still there, okay, you're on the right track. Anyway, she was still there. And I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to have her come up, say hi to the class, tell the class what she went through, what her impressions were, and, you know, where she is right now and, and how she feels about selling. So she came up in front of the class. I just basically turned it over. I said, you know, just give the class like five minutes of your time. So she started and she said, well, just to give you a little background, I'm a single mom and I have an 11-year-old with special needs. And last year I made a total of $11,000. So I came here looking for a way to do whatever it takes. I had to make a lot more money than that, not only to support my special needs child, but to eat. Her first month, she made $6,500, and her first week into her month that I was back, she had already made half that again. So in the four months that she was there, she almost made double her $11,000 from the year before. And, you know, that, first of all, that really hit home because, you know, it's like, wow, you, this one you made a difference in. And uh, I was, I was like very, very impressed. And she was like, all I wanted was a chance. If somebody gave me a chance and told me what I needed to do, I knew I could do it. And, uh, you know, so she went on and did, did incredibly well. That one hit more close to home because it, it truly, 
you know, I didn't just help her make money. I changed her life. But the funnier one was this 22-year-old kid who was a bartender. And he came in for an interview. And the dealership was like, you know, and, and, and we've all seen the ads, you know. You can make up to $100,000 a year in sales. Now, to me, that's always been about math, right? You know, what's the average commission? How many customers? Blah, blah, blah. What do I need to do? And if you do all those things, it's automatic. You'll make a hundred grand. So he comes in and, you know, he's 22 years old and a little bit cocky. And uh, he sits down and he and I said, uh, well, he goes, before you start, like interrupting me right off the bat, before you start, I just have one question. And I said, what's that? He goes, well, he said, I'm a bartender and uh, I have a new newborn son and I don't want to raise him as a bartender, but I make really good money. And this was, you know, to put it in context, in a resort area. So bartenders did really well. So I said, okay. He goes, so can I really make a hundred grand? And I said to him, I said, well, I said, there's two things that are going to help you do that. One, I'm going to give you the best information that I have at my disposal. And two, I'm going to caution you not to imitate anybody else that's on the floor right now. And he looked at me and I said, if you imitate them, the best you're going to do is you're going to make what they make. All right. What they make is of no concern of yours. What you want to make, I will show you what you have to do. Now, whether or not you do it, that's totally up to you. So long story short, a year later, I'm up in like Wisconsin and I get a phone call and it's this kid, Billy. And I said, how are you doing? He says, well, he says, uh, I didn't I didn't quite make it. I said, really? He goes, no. He says, uh, my first year income total was 98.5. And I said, well, that's not bad. You know, you missed by $1,500 in the grand scheme of things. You know, you were 98% there. And he said, yeah. He said, the bad thing is I know the three deals that I blew, that had I gotten them, I'd have made it. So I said, well, that's a good lesson. And he is now the uh, director of finance for a medium-sized dealer group. And uh, I trained him 10 years ago. So he's not only blossomed into success, he is now leading finance managers in a dealer group. And he stays in touch all the time. You know, and those are the things that you remember. But what's interesting about Billy's class, it was a very large class. I think there were like 12 people in it. What I found interesting was Billy was the only one that made $98,500. And yet everybody got the same information. And the two things as a trainer that I learned from that, that helped me out the most is that if one person achieves what I said that they could achieve, then what I say is working. The fact that the rest of them didn't listen is of no consequence to me. And the other thing is, is that when you go to do your job, whether it's to be a sales manager of a group of salespeople or to train a room of salespeople, is to realize that for everybody in the room, you don't have all the answers. But for somebody in that room, you might be the answer that makes all the difference in the world to that person. And that's the one you're there for. You may never even know which one that is until years later. But you have to make that commitment to do your best for that one person. And then if you're lucky, you may find out who that one person is.
John, now we discuss a lot about the importance of training, but in your opinion, how does training bring value to a dealership? We've always called salespeople, and this is not to be insulting, but salespeople are human real estate in a business. That, that sales department, you know, Lee Iacocca said it years ago, nothing happens until somebody sells something. And that's incredibly true. I don't care what business you're in, but that's it. Until somebody sells something, nothing exists. So you need to have solid real estate. You know, if you were investing in property, you want to buy a solid building, right? Or you want to buy one with quote unquote good bones that you can fix up and, and get a return on your investment. To get a return on your investment, you have to invest, right? And training truly accomplishes a lot on different levels. So first off, solid training, when a dealer commits to it, gets on some kind of a program, whatever it is, the information should be up to date. So you're staying ahead of the curve by what's trending. For example, you know, people have their phones in their hands, right? You know, it used to be, People would visit five or six dealerships and then make a decision. And then they would go on the Internet and and do their research and maybe stop at two dealerships. Now they're doing it on their phone while they're at the dealership, right? When a customer's in the finance office and the finance manager is talking to them about a service contract, they've got that phone down below the desk where that finance manager can't see it. And they're checking the validity and the rating of that service contract. And if that finance manager is fluffing any information, that customer knows and just shuts it down and they get everything. So we have to be ahead of that curve. How do we do that? One of the things that, that I continue to believe in is what's known as full disclosure selling. Here's what everything is going to cost you, Mr. Customer. Here's the entire buffet. Take what you want. And, you know, the dealerships we put that in, once they understand the process, immediately their grosses go up, their finance income virtually doubles and more importantly their unit sales go up because we're telling everybody everything they need to know right and if they're going to stop at one and a half dealerships i don't want to be the half dealership because the one dealership is where they're going to buy so information is certainly the first thing but here dealerships constantly their excuses for not trading oh what if i trade them and they quit and go work somewhere else well can I guarantee that's not going to happen? No. But what if you don't trade them and they stay? You know, how are your customers being treated there, right? And a lot of dealers say, well, my manager controls all the deals, really. So picture the scenario. Three customers walk in through three separate entrances into your store. They're greeted by three separate salespeople, and you've got one manager. The best you can hope for is one of those deals closes. The other two are getting away. Where if you have that process in place, well-trained salespeople, they know their manager is busy. They'll slow things down until the manager frees up and bring the manager in. And now you're likely to close two out of three. The third reason, and to me perhaps the most important reason, is the dealers that invest in consistent training. Okay, And I'm not talking about just bringing people like me in. I'm talking about bringing people like me in having their sales managers train, having their finance managers do some training, maybe even having their experienced salespeople do some training. As long as there's training going on, their turnover rate drops by an average of 80%. All right? And when you look at dealerships that spend almost as much money on hiring people as they do on ads to sell stuff, 
I guarantee you it's a training issue. When you go in and you look at, you know, a store, let's just say they have 10 salespeople, right? They're turning over their stores an average of twice a year, okay? So that means every year they're going through 20 salespeople. And each salesperson collectively between deals lost, gross profits lost, the trading cost, the, the, just the administrative cost of bringing in a new hire is going to cost them $35,000. If they're losing 20 of them a year, that's $700,000. Now, that may not show up in the ledger, but I'm telling you that's what it's costing them. So if I can reduce that by 80%, I'm saving them over a half a million dollars a year. But more importantly, the people that remain loyal and stay there, they're the ones that get the repeat customers, which are easier sales, higher gross profits. You know, you reap the benefits. That's the return on investment. And to me, not every investment works out. Every stock you buy doesn't go up. You know, every piece of property you buy doesn't double in value. You're going to lose people. There's no question for a variety of reasons. But the reality is if you train them and really make that effort to train, you're showing them that you're willing to invest in their future. And it's just human nature to return that favor. When things get a little tough, maybe we'll stick around one more day, one more week, one more month. And once they get over that hump, you know, they're back to the way things should be. So training is not just having somebody stand in front of a room and, and, and pay the room lip service for an hour or half a day or a full day or multiple days. It's an ongoing investment in your people, right? Because I promise you, and I promise every deal of this, if you're not bringing in the right training, your sales staff will train each other. And if that doesn't scare you, Nothing will. And John, since this is your farewell episode, do you have any words of wisdom to share with our listeners? I think that the biggest thing for me, for a career that I've had, to be blessed to be able to train so many people over time, is wake up with that desire of, I can't wait to get to work. I mean, I think on on previous podcasts I shared, I started out in car sales, and I had a blast. You know, I, I made some good money. You know, I never bragged that I was the greatest salesman of all time, but I had a lot of fun. I was able to support my family and send my kids to private school, so I did okay. But I made a promise to myself that if I went to work three days in a row, and in three days in a row I did not have fun, it was time to leave. And I started that in 1979. So 42 years is a long time. And imagine over 42 years, I never had three days in a row where I didn't at least have fun a little bit. You have to go to work and you have to enjoy it. If you don't enjoy it, it's it's like the worst job because it's it's all about time and opportunity. And if you're not enjoying yourself, you'll miss the opportunities, but you'll be there spending the time. So go to work with a passion. You know, love what you do. Or, or truly find something else. It's Life is too short, even looking back over 40 years. It went fast. And I'll go out and be able to spend time with my grandkids and, and enjoy that next phase of my life. But I'll continue working with dealers 
you know, on a more selective basis. It's not going to be 52 weeks a year, but, you know, dealers will reach out and they'll need help. And if there's something I see that I can do to help them, I'm certainly glad to do it for any of the dealers. If they just want to email a question, you know, I'm off the clock. So I'm happy to give them an answer or the best answer I can. And, and we'll go from there. But my gosh, please, for the sake of your sanity, your family, the people around you, at least enjoy what you do or go find something else. John, I hope you enjoy your retirement. And thank you again so much for participating in our podcast and producing articles for MPN that really help our audience learn more about training and your expertise in the industry. So thank you so much. 